will, turn in your Bibles to the 28th chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, as we continue our study through the Word. I cannot begin to imagine the emotions that those that loved Jesus and served Him and were a part of His ministry and, and all that they went through. How exciting it had to have been to have been around Jesus. The words that he spoke, the truth. He, he spoke like no one has ever spoken with just sheer authority, clear, perfect truth, cutting through every bit of confusion that there was and pointing everybody to the truth of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. No situation was beyond his control. Imagine being around somebody that has the answer to every single situation. Death, no problem. He called people forth back out of the grave. Sickness, disease, no problem. Demonic possession, no problem. The wind, the waves, they were at his beck and call, his command. He controlled the very force of, of nature itself. And the disciples called by him to come and follow him and to be a part of him setting up the kingdom of God, whatever that meant, because they completely didn't always understand what Jesus was saying. But it was amazing to listen to. Did you understand him, kind of? I'm not sure. You know, what they would talk about it, but it was unbelievable. The crowds, enormous. The popularity of Jesus increasing, but always a threat at the same time because the religious leaders were not on board. And so the ominous undercurrent of the opposition, Jesus would be teaching to the masses, but theirs were the religious Pharisees with their arms crossed, watching every single step that he made, looking for a slip up, challenging doctrine, asking, probing, and questions. And, and so there was this great build-up to the Passover, Jesus' final Passover. And the crowds, the triumphal entry into the city, the Messiah, the Hosannas, the palm branches waving hail, the son of David is, is here. And the messianic hope, which is still the hope of Israel, is the Messiah. Israel today is waiting for their Messiah to come and to establish the, the kingdom that was promised all the way back. And God's promises are sure and amen. Amen? Sure and amen. Israel knows their future. They are waiting for the Messiah to bring about that future. But here, he was here. He's now this is this this is and and so the, the the entire city was just enthronged with with the presence of Jesus but suddenly in a few short days Jesus is arrested he is tried overnight he is raced to Pilate in the morning it's a kangaroo court false charges false witnesses it is just a a travesty of justice. Pilate says this man is innocent, yet he goes ahead and gives the, the order. And Jesus is paraded through the street as a common criminal and crucified. And the shock 
Oh, how did this happen? How did we get here? Peter is dealing with his own issues. Judas goes out and hangs himself. The disciples are an absolute mess. Sun is going down. Joseph of Arimathea steps forwards and asks for the body of Jesus. And he had his own garden tomb that had been hewn out for his family, but never been used yet and close by. And Pilate releases the body to him and and he sets it in the grave. Him and Nicodemus wrap Jesus up. The sun is going down. It's Shabbat. It's the, the Sabbath. The stone is rolled over. The tomb is sealed. And, and everyone goes to their houses. The next day, the religious leaders are concerned. They have achieved their purpose. You remember the high priest said it's expedient that one man should die, that the entire nation should perish, and they plotted to put Jesus to death, and now they had succeeded. He was crucified, and he was in the tomb. But then they remembered that he said that he was going to rise up on the third day, and we need to make sure his body doesn't get stolen. And so they go to Pilate. And Pilate gives them the soldiers. You go secure it. And so they sealed it, official Roman seal on the tomb, and posted military guards that no one should come near the tomb and no one should touch it. The women that had seen the burial of Jesus they talked to the other women and the end of Sabbath, Saturday night. They go into the marketplace to get some spices to anoint Jesus' body, wash it, clean it, wrap it. And so they purpose in their hearts that first thing in the morning they are going to go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Mark's gospel tells us that along the way that they were talking amongst themselves. Their plan had one tiny problem. <laughs> How are they going to get the stone rolled away in order to access his body? I don't think that they were even aware that the tomb had been sealed by Rome, that there were guards there that weren't going to allow them to do that. And, and so had they gotten there with the guards there and the tomb sealed, they would have never had access to Jesus's body. But that happened during the Sabbath. And so they're unaware of that difficulty. Matthew's gospel picks it up here in the first verse. And it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And so here they come after the Sabbath. It's interesting, that phrasing, after the, the Sabbath, because here we see that it says that the, the, the first day of the week began to dawn. And so figuratively, this could now look to the beginning of the new covenant, that the final Sabbath rest uh, had completed 
as the end of the old covenant now and the beginning of the new covenant and this new day is dawning and and here we see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb now you know God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested and so the 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 nation of Israel God's people they they would work the six days and they would race, rest on the uh, on the Sabbath day but here we see in the new covenant now, it was the first day of the week where Jesus resurrects from the dead. And, and so as Christians, we worship on the first day of the week in, in the new covenant now. Here a new day has dawned with, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary and the other woman, Two Marys came to the tomb and they had been witnesses there. There were also other women, Mark's gospel tells us, and Luke's gospel tells us. Joanna was there, and, and there were others. But we see that Matthew just kind of focuses on these two Marys. And they had been among the women that had ministered all the way back in Galilee. And so they had come and been a part of Jesus' ministry. They had heard so much of his teaching. And... They had seen Jesus' body put into the tomb. They didn't have confidence in the resurrection. They didn't come expecting that Jesus was not going to be there. They came out of great love and great devotion. Great love and great devotion. I thought that those are admirable qualities in our relationship with Jesus. That it could be said of us that we have great love for Jesus and that we have great devotion for Jesus. May that be something that the Lord increases in, in each and every one of our hearts is love and devotion. Matthew says, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and, and sat on it. I love that. There was a great earthquake. And so we see another earthquake. You remember the signs and wonders that took place that while Jesus was there on the cross, we had the three hours of normal daylight. But then at noon, from noon to three o'clock, darkness that was uh, on the land and and then you remember that there was a, a great earthquake when Jesus dismissed his spirit. And then you'll remember that the veil was rent from top to bottom. And, and now here again on resurrection morning, there is another earthquake, the earth trembling. And, and so the women are headed to the, uh, to the garden tomb. And, uh, but here there's an earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. I love that. He descended from heaven. He didn't happen to just be in the area hanging out. He, he descends from heaven and then 
we see that he is the one that came and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Don't you love that? He sits, he rolls the stone back and now he's sitting on top of this round stone. I think his arms are crossed and his feet are crossed. He's chill. He's just hanging. I also was thinking, you know, that he got the honor. Listen, of all the angels that God created, he got the honor to go and to roll that stone back on the grave of, uh, of Jesus. Of course, he didn't roll it back to let Jesus out. He rolled it back so that everybody could come in and see that Jesus is not there, that his body is completely gone. And so here we see that he rolls it back and he sits upon this stone and, and his countenance, it says, was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They were to make sure that nobody cracked that seal and nobody rolled the stone back. But I don't think stopping angels is what they signed up for. <laughs> the angels there, and the next thing they know, they're trembling in absolute fear before the power and authority of an angel of God. We have no complete understanding of how the, the spiritual realm and, and angels interact with us here upon this earth, but they certainly do. These guards, it says they shook for fear and became like dead men. Not only did they become rigid, but unconscious. They were completely traumatized by what they saw and now they lost consciousness here over just the appearance and the presence of the angels. Matthew switches back. The women, when they approach, the guards had regained consciousness and had departed. The angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And so the, the women now come, and the angel is there. And they are fearful also. But the angel speaks and tells them not, not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. But the one that you seek, he's not here. He's risen. And then notice the words, as he said that he would. He's reminding them of the words that they heard, but they had not comprehended. They didn't understand when Jesus was saying that he was going to rise up in, in three days. But now the angel invites them into more closer examination of, uh, of the tomb, but come. See the place where the Lord lay. And so here we see that, uh, that the angel sends the message now that, uh, that Jesus is uh, uh, risen. 
in the original Greek language that can be translated that he has been raised. Now, Jesus had the power to lay his life down, had the power to raise himself back up again. That power and authority had been given to him. But we see that scripture makes it clear that, that the entire Trinity was involved in this process. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so we see the Father had a role in the resurrection. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit had a role in the resurrection of Jesus. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so we see the entire Trinity participating in the resurrection of Jesus. So the women come and they investigate. Just like when Peter and John a little bit later are going to run to the tomb and they're going to come in and investigate. And, and what was interesting, what was fascinating was that Jesus had been wrapped in the grave clothes. But when Jesus resurrected, he just moved right through those clothes in the same way that he would pass right through the wall and enter into the upper room on resurrection night. And so those grave clothes that had been wrapped around him were just still laying right there where Jesus' body had been wrapped, except for one piece. The handkerchief that had been over his face was folded up and placed neatly over on the other side. So when the women peer in and look, and you're seeing now the form of the body of the grave clothes, but no body in the grave clothes, and you're seeing a folded up handkerchief to the side. I mean, the first thing that you're aware of is that Jesus' body isn't there, but you remember when John and Peter run to the tomb, and John gets there first, and he is peering inside, but he doesn't go in. But he's trying to understand what he's looking at, and Peter gets there in second. He steps into the tomb and, and looks. But John understands. He puts the pieces together that Jesus uh, is resurrected. And so the, the women now come in and poke their head in or look in or, uh, or see in and, uh, and verse 7 and and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. And behold, I have told you. And so the angel tells them that they're risen. Tells them to investigate it. And then tells them to go and tell the disciples also that he is risen from the dead. That he is alive. And that he will meet them in Galilee. Just as he had told them. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear, it says, and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And so they depart from the tomb with fear and great joy. They 
are still unnerved by the presence of this gleaming, powerful angel sitting on top of the stone, though there was a benevolent message, a great message, tidings of great joy. They, they rejoiced in what they heard, but they were still a little shaken by the encounter with the, uh, with the angel. And so they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they now, they depart from the tomb, and they're headed back to the city to tell the disciples what the angel had told them, that Jesus is alive and that he has risen from the grave. And before they get back to the city, before they get to the disciples, Jesus appears to them saying rejoice now rejoice is it's just a common greeting it's just like good morning and, and here's what i wonder i wonder i wonder you know does do they turn the corner and there's jesus and he's just walking the other direction good morning ladies you know and just casually does he appear in front of them and startle them and then say good morning and and all but it's just this common greeting that they had heard Jesus say to them hundreds of, uh, of times. And he greets the, the ladies who are filled with joy and fear before they meet Jesus. And, and so they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped him. And so here we see that, that now they fall down onto their face and they just begin to worship him. They do what every single person, believer or unbeliever, will do one day. And that is they bow before the presence of Jesus Christ. And every single person on the face of the earth will either be made to bow or will bow and worship of him freely. And so here we see the women bowing and worshiping him freely. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. How often Jesus is telling us not to be afraid, not to worry. Don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the stresses and the strains of, uh, of life, anxiety and, and stress and pressure. God says, give that all to me. Rest, trust, live in love. You see, when you're afraid, you're not able to love others. You're just, you're clenched up in this defensive of posture in your life when you've got anxiety and you're wringing your hands and you're worried and you're preoccupied and you're distracted and someone will say, hey, you're not yourself today. And it's, oh my gosh, I know you carrying all this stress. I have all of this this worry that is, that is consuming me. And so it blocks us from being able to love God and to love others, the two things that, that God wants to focus us uh, on. And, and Jesus says, trust. Look at the way my father provides even the sparrows that build their nests. And my father feeds them. Not one of them falls to the earth. My father knows what you have need of. Seek ye first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and 
all of these things. They're going to be taken care of for you. Why do you worry? What does it accomplish you? You can't change one hair on your head by worrying. Worrying is going to have no positive effect on the outcome. Amen? I'm going to repeat that. Worrying is going to have no positive effect on, on the outcome. But science will tell us the physical detriment to the body that, that stress and anxiety cause. And, and so here we see how God is constantly ministering to the fear. The first thing that he says to the ladies, now they're mixed with fear and joy. And what is the first thing Jesus goes? He wants to remove that fear from them. Why? So that they can engage him completely. Now, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. It is the number one negative commandment in the Bible. Over and over and over and over and over, God keeps on telling us that. And it's a good thing to keep on reminding ourselves. Keep on reminding ourselves. The battle of fear and faith. Faith drives out fear. And fear drives out faith. And so we are a constant battle between those two in, in our lives. I love it where our disciples say, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. You know, I, I have faith, but my faith is struggling to drive that fear out. Can you strengthen my faith to shove the fear out so that I'm not bullied by it today? We hear so much about bullying, bullying. But to me, the greatest bully that there is is fear. And so that bully needs to depart from our lives so that I'm pushed around by it, tormented and tortured by it. Do not be afraid of the first words that Jesus says to these women. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and, and there they will see me. And so... Verse 11, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the, the things that had happened. As, as the women that were headed back to tell the disciples, the guards that were there have to head back and report these things to the chief priests that had taken place. Now, this is bad news for the guards, they were there to do two things. A, to make sure that that seal does not get broken. That was an official Roman seal. And without an order, that seal was not to be broken. They were there to protect that, number one. Number two, keep Jesus' body from being removed from the grave. Those were their standing orders. The breaking of those orders most likely would mean crucifixion for them. And so suddenly now their failure to perform their task, now their own lives are in, in grave danger now at what just happened. But it's like one of those, it's not my fault. An angel showed up on the scene, you know, but how are you going to tell your commanding officer, you know, that, that it wasn't you, that an angel showed up and he's the one that cracked the seal and we, we actually, we were unconscious. Uh, he rendered us unconscious. We were beat up by an angel. That's what happened. And... You know, and so this story is just not going to fly. It's just not going to fly. 
And so they, they now have a huge problem on their hands. And, and so they go and report to the chief priests, you know, uh, what had happened. Now, once again, the chief priests, they, they have experienced the darkness. They have experienced the, uh, the, the earthquake when Jesus died. They have experienced the rending of the veil. And now there's an angel, and he's the one that broke open the seal and rolled the stone back and... and, and and these guards end up unconscious. And rather than being able to, to see, hey, maybe we should just rethink this whole thing. <laughs> they just double down and they just keep pressing forwards. They're not interested in, in examining exactly what happened. They're just concerned about their plan. And what this does now to their plan. They're so self-willed that they're completely blind to the things that are happening around them. The hardness of heart. Keeping a soft heart. How important it is. Keeping a teachable spirit in our lives with, uh, with the Lord. Asking God to continue to show me and teach me and help me. And so here we see the, the hardness of their heart. In Hebrews 3.15, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so we, we see the opposition to, to Jesus. We see the tremendous popularity by the people of Jesus, but we see the leadership, those that had authority over the nation. We see how opposed they were to Jesus. It began at his birth. And Herod, who was the king, and we see that he slaughters the innocent babies in Bethlehem to try and destroy Jesus. We see that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph have to flee to Egypt because of the persecution that was against them. We see that the religious leaders seek to have him destroyed It is profitable that one person should perish then the whole nation should die and and so here we see they accuse him of of being satanically inspired of breaking god's law by healing on the sabbath of blasphemy for claiming that he's the son of god that he's the messiah and yet here we see that that now they they plot and basically blackmail Pilate in order to have Jesus crucified. They, they used armed forces to keep his body in the grave. And now since they couldn't keep his body in the grave, now they're going to use bribery to try and keep the thing quiet. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So here's a generous donation. And... All we want you to do is to just say that the disciples came and stole the body. And we'll keep you alive. We'll keep you safe. 
with the governor, don't worry about it. We know how to handle Pilot. And so, their choices. Go and tell Pilot what happened themselves, and they will probably be executed. Or take the donation, change the truth a little bit, and just move on your way. And so the soldiers, they sell out their integrity to preserve their life. And the religious leaders, verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And so here we see that, that now they seek to cover up their sin. They seek to cover up their actions. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And, and so Matthew doesn't give a list of all of the people that Jesus appeared to. You remember that the first one that he appears to is Mary Magdalene at the tomb. But remember how John writes his gospel later? And so he adds that detail that the first appearance of Jesus wasn't to these women, but the first appearance to Jesus was to Mary Magdalene first and then to these uh, women. And then he appears to um, Peter and, and then he appears to the two on the road to Emmaus. And then he appears to the ten on the night of his resurrection. Then a week later, he appears to the eleven, all of them with Thomas this time. And so there's multiple meetings that Jesus has with different, but what Matthew's concerned with is the, the big meeting where over 500 people at once saw Jesus, which happened up in Galilee. And so this was the meeting here that that the angel was pointing them towards and to where now Jesus would go and minister. So there were 40 days in between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension. And so Matthew points towards now the time that Jesus reveals himself there and gives this great commission that we see that takes place. And we know that Jesus will come back to Jerusalem and that he ascends from the Mount of Olives. And so that's right there in Jerusalem. But we see that he spends time with the disciples up in, in Galilee. He will restore Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Peter fishes all night and comes back and doesn't catch any fish. And, and Jesus is on the shore with breakfast waiting for them. And, and all but it says in verse 17 Matthew says and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted so that is most commentators believe but some doubted this this was now a reference back to doubting Thomas and you'll remember that again uh, that we are given that story in greater detail where Jesus appears to the 10 on the night of his resurrection and Thomas isn't there. And the other apostles tell him, he came into the upper room. He was here with us. And, you know, and we talked to him. He ministered to us. And you remember Thomas, Thomas says, I will not believe unless I see the nail imprints on his hand and examine his feet and touch his side. And you remember that it was a week later 
the disciples are gathered together with Thomas and Jesus appears. And he says, Thomas, come, examine my hands. See my feet. Place your hand in my side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he begins to worship him. And Jesus says, Thomas, blessed are you because you saw and you believe, but blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. And so here, Matthew says, for when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so authority here means the right to use power. And, and we see that Matthew stresses the authority of Jesus Christ. And, and now he closes the gospel letting us know that all authority, the sovereign authority given to Jesus by his heavenly father is both absolute and it's universal. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen. Go, therefore. And he says, and make disciples of all the nations. Now, there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. He doesn't say go and make converts. Your convert is when you first accept Jesus Christ. That's your new birth. That's when, when you now are born again. But the minute that you're born again, you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge. A disciple is a learner. And Jesus has invited us to follow after him. And so now it is a continual process of, of learning the way that Jesus lived, the way that he calls us to live. It is this discipleship process where Christ through the Holy Spirit is, is discipling each and every one of us. And so go and make disciples. So we don't just want to get people saved and then just go on to the next person and on to the next person and on, uh, on to the next person. But, but we're to help them to grow into spiritually mature believers. Go now and make disciples. And, and not just right here. And to all the nations and to the entire world, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, you, you'll remember that under the Old Covenant, the word wasn't go under the Old Covenant. It was come. It was the invitation to come to Jerusalem. Come to the court of the Gentiles. Come to the place where God's presence is, is going to be. So the whole world was invited to come. But in the new covenant, we see that the disciples are commanded the churches and to have everybody come, but the churches to go. And so we see now the, the new covenant versus the, the old covenant. And to go to the four corners of the, uh, of the earth. We're not to wait for the world to come to us. We're to, to go and to be in the world, but not to be of the world. And so the, the command is to go.
and to baptize them. Now, baptism is, is once you're a convert, once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, now we see the command of Jesus is that we are to be baptized. Now, what baptism is, it's the identification. You are saying, I'm a Christian. And the first place that you declare that you are a Christian is in a supportive environment of fellow believers where you're being baptized. That's, that's the first place that your declaration is to take place. If a person isn't able to do it in the support of fellowship, how are they ever going to stand up in the world and declare that they're a Christian? And so the first step of obedience to the Lord as a convert is to come to the waters of baptism. Does it have anything to do with salvation? No, it is post-salvation. But you are either a, a disobedient Christian that hasn't been baptized, or you're an obedient Christian that has taken that first step of baptism. And so it's not an issue of salvation, but it is very much an issue of discipleship, of following and learning and being obedient to the Lord. Sometimes people get confused because they say, well, I was baptized as an infant. And so, the, do I need to be baptized again? I was already baptized. But once again, a biblical baptism happens after you've accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. It's your declaration that I am a Christian. That's what your baptism is. And so, uh, here we see that we're all called to it. And then teach them to observe everything that I command you. And then know this, I'm with you. You are not alone. Where two or more are gathered together, there I am in your presence. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention right there to verse 19, right? The very first word, go. You see, once you're saved... Once you experience new birth, new life, you now are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. You, you now have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. And that's why it says that, you know, you weren't, when, when we see Lazarus, right? Lazarus goes into the grave and Jesus calls him out of the grave. And he calls him back to life. You see, when, when we got saved, we weren't, called back to our old life, we now have a brand new life. Lazarus comes back out of the grave and picks up his life right where he left off. He wasn't changed. He just was brought back to life again. When you're born again, you're turned into a completely different creation because you now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. And so you have the dunamis, the power of the uh, Holy Spirit that is going to lead you and guide you and help you and comfort you and is doing the work of changing you. You don't change yourself. The Holy Spirit changes you and you cooperate with, you yield to the work of the Holy Spirit that is going on. You don't fight against it. You say, okay, Lord, keep on changing me. Keep on changing me. But then what am I supposed to do? Now that I'm saved, do I just wait for heaven? Do I just live now and collect pleasure and fun and ease and live life knowing that I'm 
I'm going to heaven and my salvation is secure. And, and we see that, that as a disciple, each and every one of us is told now that we're to go. But the question is, where am I supposed to go? It's like, okay, Lord, I'm willing. Where do you want me to go? That's a good question. What's the answer? It's probably, as a pastor, one of the questions I get asked the most. What, what should I do? What, how can God use me? And, and the answer of go means this to me. It means go, spend time in your mission fields. Your mission fields. And I would say that to each and every one of us if we had a chance to sit down. And probably your next question would be, well, what are my mission fields? And I would say, now let's talk. What are your mission fields? If you're going to serve God, you're going to go out into the mission fields and you're going to spend an hour or two pulling weeds and watering and plucking in this field. And you might do that on Thursdays and on Fridays, you might go over to this mission field over here and spend some time over there and spend an hour in that field and help out with whatever needs to, to happen in that field. And, and on different days, you can go to different fields, whatever fields, mission fields that God has for you. A lot of times people think, you know, the word go means I have to go to China. China and Africa, those seem to be the two places that everybody thinks God's going to make them go and be a missionary. I want you to know that we're going to be a missionary. I want you to know you're all missionaries. Every single one of us is a missionary, whether you recognize that or not. Sometimes we define that term thinking that, you know, we have to be a full-time missionary, and that means leaving here and going to a, a people group. Now, listen, God might put that call on your life. That's going to be a call on your life. And see, that mission field becomes a burning passion in their heart to where they can't stop thinking about that, where they, 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 they know they, they can't even sleep. They're just so burdened by these people over there that they need to go and to, and to help them. That's the mission field that they're being called to. And, and that's awesome. And then we want to be able to help them. We want to help everybody into whatever mission field God is and calling them and support them and encourage them. So how do I know what my mission field is? Well, first thing is you do is you start praying. It's the first step. God, show me what my mission fields are. But practical reality is this. If you're a husband or a wife, your first mission field is your, is your spouse right there. You want to be able to be praying for them. You want to be able to minister to them, to love them. See, what is the mission field? It's expanding the kingdom of God. And so it's seeing the expansion of the kingdom of God. You want to see the expansion of the kingdom of God in your own life? You're a disciple. See, a convert doesn't need to go. A convert needs to grow. <laughs> a disciple now, okay, you need to keep on growing and then put some hours out into the, the mission fields. So spouse, praying for your spouse, loving your spouse, serving your spouse. That's mission field work right there. Your children intentional, seeking to build the kingdom of God in their hearts and in their lives. And, and that mission field changes what that looks like when they're little and then when they're teenagers and then adult children. And sometimes it just means praying. 
Sometimes it's just a dedicated, I'm going to pray for them this amount. During the course, I'm going to spend time spiritually laboring in that field for them. And so that's that mission field. Maybe you have a heart for the homeless. I mean, it just breaks your heart. And every time you see a homeless person, you're just like, I need to do, I need to, I can't sleep. I need to go get involved in that. And so the God, God is calling you. So once a week, once a month, once a quarter, you go and get involved with the outreach, a shelter. And, and now you spend a little bit of time in that field. Just putting your hands in a little bit. Might be to any of the, the, the issues that you are burdened with. It might be for the youth and the next generation. So you volunteer at the school or you still, but it's so always it's prayer. Whatever, whatever area of your mission field, it's prayer plus action. It's prayer plus action because prayer is the action. So you're praying and then you're doing it. And, and that is now spending time. And God says this, that he who's faithful in the little things to him, what? More will be given as you start to pray and God show me what other mission fields and suddenly someone comes along and, and they've got and they're involved in something and God piques your interest so you start praying about that and you start giving a little bit of time or treasure or talent to that area, to that ministry and so you start sowing over in that ministry and so time, treasure, talent, those are the, the, the three stewardships that we've got that are laboring into the mission fields and God will call you and show you what he wants you to do. And so each and every one of us, it doesn't mean you need to quit your job, move to a foreign country, and now you went in fulfillment. Each and every one of us go outside of yourself, minister to others, love on others, Build the kingdom of God. Wherever God has given you a burden, whatever excites you, whatever you are passionate about, and just baby steps. Just do a little bit. Pray and take a step. Pray and take a step. And guess what? You're going in fulfillment of the command of Jesus Christ. May we be a church filled with disciples that go honoring the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, help us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. And so, Lord, help us to, to know what our mission fields are and help us to be praying and going. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.